Our show is brought to you today by Cave Day. Cave Day leads group focus sessions for global community every day on Zoom, which is perfect for writers. We all know how hard it is to make yourself set some goals, sit down, and hopefully hit that flow state where the characters start talking to you. Cave Day is here to help with that. I tried it, and I got to tell you, it worked great for me. I set out some goals, I went in for an hour-long sprint, and I not only got more work done than I expected to, it was better than I hoped for. Cave Day is like a group fitness class for your work. A trained guide leads check-ins, you do deep work sprints, and you take energizing breaks. Members report that they get two to four times more done with Cave Day's science-backed method. Join the world's most focused community and work alongside Emmy and Oscar winners. Writers' Room listeners can get a seven-day trial and 50% off their first month with promo code WRITERSROOM at checkout. Head to caveday.org. That's caveday.org. Hey, Sam, you come up with that intro line? You didn't tell me that was today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Writers Room with Sam and Jim. As you probably know by now, this is the show where we bring aspiring writers into our little writers room here on our podcast to help them work on and develop their stories. And we're going to do that with Travis Wynn in just a minute. But first, there's something I got to go off on, Sam. Television. Again? Again. Always about television. No, what I was thinking about was how, as TV writers, we feel some responsibility in how we write scripts, the stories we tell, the way we talk about different subjects, the the way we handle things, because TV is a mirror of society, or it should be. We certainly, people watch television and they see parts of their own country they might never see in person, and it might be the only exposure they get to some things, depending on where they live and their life experiences. And certainly we've seen populations in our country we don't see, like, even in the city, like gay people and people of color and all of that has helped move the ball, we like to think. You can definitely make the case that, that people have had their worlds opened up that way. And what struck me the other day, you know, here we are in the pandemic. We've spent a lot of time, my wife and I have at home. And one of the things we've done on a lot of nights is watch TV shows. And we've watched a lot of TV shows from other countries. The other night we were watching Mr. In Between, which is a, a great little Hulu show, airs on Hulu, I should say, that's set in Australia. It's right. an Australian series. I've never really watched an Australian series before, but I'm getting a little... It's all Mad Max there, right? I mean, It's, <laughs> it's just... all Mad Max. I had uh... Kangaroos <laughs> punching people on every street corner. No, no, come on. It's the end of the world. There's a lot of really cool, beautiful people and a lot of sand. And kangaroos. That's <laughs> what I'm telling you. But no, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it's uh, beyond the struggles to get through the accents, which you have with British shows too. You get to see a part of the world. I, I've never been to Australia. I've, I've always wanted to go. I don't know if I'm ever going to get there because it is a long, expensive trip to, to get to down under. Right. And it's more than the scenery, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's, it's the way people live and, and what motivates them and, and how they go about their everyday life. One of the other things we've done a lot is watch British police dramas, which is fascinating as someone who has written a fair amount of, of law enforcement television because they don't have guns. Right. That's huge. It's huge. And it, it changes. It's like watching old TV before people had cell phones. <laughs> and they have to go find a payphone if they want to call somebody, mm -hmm. which just feels bizarre to us now. It's kind of like that. And, and you see cops in situations where in on American television, there would be a gunfight. Somebody mm -hmm. would get shot. They'd pull a gun and tell them to freeze or whatever. They can't do that. And 
it changes the storytelling. And in, in some ways, it makes more, more human. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you a window onto a society that works perfectly well without everyone being hyper-armed at all times. Like So it's a totally fictional world, we would think, <laughs> That's right. where the NRA has not spread their disease all around our country. And so there are guns everywhere, making it so unsafe for everybody, including, and it's maybe even especially cops, and what would it be like if that rot had not taken place? By the way, I may have an opinion about guns. but uh- <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. And I, I think it's interesting that we're living in this time now where whether it's Babylon Berlin or Mr. In-Between or a British cop series like In the Line of Duty, we're suddenly turning the mirror of TV away from just Americans looking at Americans, maybe with particular slants on what's being presented, depending on the the Mm -hmm. writer, the network, all the things that go into making a TV series here. We're getting windows into other societies. And I'm, I'm hoping that maybe out of this giant infusion of product from the rest of the world, where it's coming to us for once, instead of us exporting to them, Mm -hmm. just maybe we'll learn something from it. Do you think that's possible? That you, wait, you're saying Americans are going to learn from foreigners? <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> never mind. Forget I said anything. <laughs> Sam, I want to talk for a minute about our sponsor, Cave Day. Cave Day leads group focus sessions for a global community every day on Zoom. You know how sometimes we struggle to get in the zone when we're writing? No, I never struggle. I don't know what you're talking about. I do know something about procrastination, though. We work at our computers, and we're bombarded with distractions all the time. I'm sitting there struggling with some sort of dialogue or some sort of something's just about right, and then... I get that phone call. You know what? The phone call might not even be that important, but in that moment, it feels important because I'm procrastinating. I know, and I've been giving you grief about reaching for your phone for years, but it turns out that somebody has come up with a solution. They're not taking away my phone, though, are they? They don't have to. Cave Day works like a group fitness class for your work. A trained guide leads check-ins, deep work sprints, and energizing breaks. Members report that they get two to four times more done with Cave Day's science-backed method. I tried it, and I have to say, I was impressed. You're with a group of people, and you commit to each other that you're going to turn off all the distractions for the length of the sprint just an hour at a time. How actually did it work for you? It worked great. I think just knowing that you're working alongside other people, even though you're all in your own individual caves, really does help keep you on task. But you have to put your phone out of sight. And that's what I'm talking about. That's the catch. (laughs) Check it out. I think you'll like it. And so will our listeners. Join the world's most focused community and work alongside Emmy and Oscar winners and me and Sam too. Writers Room listeners get a seven-day trial, 50% off their first month with promo code Writers Room at checkout. Head to caveday.org. Again, that's caveday.org. It really works, everybody. Okay, let's get into this week's show. Hello, Travis. Hi, am I speaking to Sam or Jim? I don't think I want to tell you now. I think you don't care. You don't care. That's how you know it's Sam. That was Sam. This is Jim. Hi, Travis. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, man. Hi, guys. I'm glad to be on your show, and thanks so much for having me. So, Travis, we always start a little bit about your backstory. We know you're from Canada, which, there, why are there so many writers in Canada? There's only 30 million people there. What are you going to do when it's dark and snowing all year? Um, drink? Uh, we just, like, we close inside our igloo and, you know, sleep out. <laughs> We've worked with a lot of uh, Canadian writers and also pr- people in production and all that. It's It really is they're, our brother country. They're so, better than Americans, well, yeah. by and large. Yeah, no question. Uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely politically. So what we're saying is don't come, but keep writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or please come and make things better here. One of those two things. So tell us about this show. What kind of television do you want to write? 
hmm, I want to disrupt the TV industry because most of the shows now, I feel like they're too generic. And they've been done so many times. So I want to create something that's different, intriguing, and yet you can still relate to it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Of course. I think we all want to do that in the beginning before we're slowly ground down. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It, it's true, though, Travis. Like, there's the, uh, we sometimes you call it first idea theater when you're just writing to the tropes and the first thing you would think of. And then there's, there's that other kind of writing that gets very specific and you think up really strange things to put in um, or really unusual, seldom seen things to put in. Mm-hmm. And it gets a lot more interesting. Now, I will say this. We all feel the same way at the start. I really do feel like a lot of people do. I don't think people come in and think, you know what? I just want to make a generic television show that'll make me a lot of money. I bet there are those people and they don't do well. Or they now have huge deals. I don't yes. know. <laughs> I, I think it splits both ways. It, right. <laughs> but TV is better now than it ever has been. And people keep saying that. But I, Jim and I watch a lot of TV besides writing TV. And I think we both believe that to be true. So there are great shows. So how do you want to disrupt television in a way that, I mean, there's Apple TV has a show that doesn't even have any people in it. It doesn't have visuals. It's called Calls, and it's just graphics on screen, and the episodes are short, um, like 10 minutes or something like that. I mean, th- th- there is disruption happening. So what are you looking for? I'm looking to disrupt the genres. I want to mix and match. I want to fuse them all together uh, and create an explosion of like, let's say, if genres are flavors, I want to create a new flavor. I think I'm falling in love with Travis. He's like the Ben and Jerry's <laughs> of TV. <laughs> that's that's where you're going? No, I just meant, you know how when we're in a writer's room and junior writers come in or there's their first show or second show and you just want to go over there and drink their blood because they're so excited and enthusiastic and and we are too i mean we I, we love it but they're, they're shooting for the moon they want they and they know they're going to change everything yeah i love that and travis i hope you're 100 right man yeah you I might know. be the guy who does doing cross genre we have tried to talk about it and we we came up with what we thought then and i still kind of dig that idea but it was a teen movie and it was a sci-fi right it uh-huh. was aliens <laughs> and it was it was funny but it was it wasn't going to be as good as attack the block but it was it had this kind of vibe that right. we really dug and instantly we got resistance from our agency because they were like what is it we don't understand it like yeah it doesn't have a pigeonhole how do we sell this yeah and so that i think is a little bit of the resistance to doing something unique there always is that and it comes from the grown-ups in the business and mm-hmm. i'm not dogging on our agency we love our agency but there is that entrenched thing on the other hand, I know when I'm sitting down faced with a stack of scripts to read to recommend writers or not, or select writers or not, depending on our role, if I saw a really cool cross-genre show, and even if it's not, I don't understand how it is a television show, I could get very excited about that. Right. So good on you, Travis. I think that's the right way to do it. Thank you. So I assume your show is... Um, Why don't you tell us about your show? Yeah. Well, what, what is it? And uh, give, us, give us an idea of the, the content of the show and, and what you want to do. So... I guess to simplify it, think of Jurassic Park cross with Pulp Fiction. All right. That, that's definitely two genres crossing there. All right, let's go. Can we just take a moment to bathe in that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a very, very, very large John Travolta rampaging through a jungle. <laughs> <laughs> well, not specifically Jurassic Park, but uh, yeah. so I assume you guys have watched Jurassic Park, right? Yeah. Of course. So, hypothetically, if we had a technology to bring back dinosaurs from their DNA stuck in a mosquito, like, from a million years ago, why don't we bring back actual people? Like, isn't it so much better than just, like, animals? Like, why don't we bring back Albert Einstein or, like, genius like that and 
let them have all the technology and all the knowledge and let them make the world better. And yeah. that's the premise of the show. But that's not a cross genre yet, right? So where, yeah, where, yeah. where's the other part? It's waiting for the Pulp Fiction part. Yeah, that's the sci-fi part. Okay, so we're bringing back right. historical figures, um, which, by the way, we have seen before. I, mean, I don't want to, I'm not dogging on your idea at all, but I'm saying that that's a trope. There's many, mm-hmm. you can use a machine, you can use a, a, a mystic, you can use sci-fi, uh, you know, uh, DNA in your case. Yeah. So what's the cool thing? What's the extra thing that you're talking about, the Pulp Fiction? The show is about a brilliant college student, and he must rescue his father, who is stuck in ancient Egypt, when he discovers that Albert Einstein is still alive in the modern time. And so as they try to build a time machine together, they're being hunted down by a pair of vicious killers who works for this entity that's known as the Secret Science Society, because they also want a time machine. And so that's where the publishing part come, comes in, because you have like this dual killers who like go after this kid and a scientist. And I hope that's where the cross genre happens. How, how did his father wind up in ancient Egypt? A long story. But, no, no, um, no, no. The short version. <laughs> What's the short yeah, version? Short yeah. version. I'll, I'll give you the short version. Yeah. So Albert Einstein, when he was brought back to life, he was brought back by this kid's father. And after being brought back, they worked together as a team to, you know, develop a time machine. But the time machine wasn't working properly, and it exploded, launching the kid's father back into the past. And so fast forward to 20 years, the kid finds Albert Einstein once again, and he is convinced to go back and find his dad. Okay, I get that. All right, so here's my question. Jim, you want to ask your six questions first, or you want me to... uh... I don't have a question so much as I, I realized that what this reminds me of just a little bit in its own way which is in one of the great cross-genre movies of all time, Bubba Hotep. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you've seen you, it, Travis. Travis, you've seen that? I don't think I have. All right. it, it's, uh, it's pretty obscure. I think it was in the 90s. Um, but also revered. Also revered where Elvis Presley is because he's still alive and there is an old black man in whose brain, in whose skull is the brain of John F. Kennedy. <laughs> and they're there in this retirement home and there's a mummy that gets loose and it's killing people in the retirement home and they're out to stop the mummy. Okay, that's called cross-genre. That is as cross-genre <laughs> as you can get. It's it's just crazy. It, it was it was a ton of fun. So here's, uh-huh. here's my question. I don't think this is cross-genre yet, right? I think we got to peel it back and find the other genre. Because tell me about Pulp Fiction. What do you think Pulp Fiction is? I think Pulp Fiction is, it's a fuse of different, of three separate stories but they're tied in together by the same event right uh-huh. yeah and it's definitely a gangster movie but done in a different way right and so the done in the different way part is the well or maybe just the gangster part too but that that part i don't see in your idea yet and we've only talked about it for a second so how does that gangster and also the fact that and i think one of the things that really resonated with that movie which we've all seen a bunch of times is that they were going around killing people but they also were just these whack, these crazy guys who were talking, you know, when they, you know, we're talking about burger shops. They're talking about, oh, that's gross. Why did you do that? Uh, yeah. There was the rich interior lives of a couple of killers instead of just being killing machines. And everything was weird. Everything was off. And, you know, you had the gimp and he, and it was just things were odd. And that's what I think Jim is talking about, you know, Bubba Hotep, which is every time he says something, he's like, and this. 
right? But right now, with what I hear, from, what I'm hearing from your show is okay. We got a, a time show. We've got a uh, we've got two science two sci-fi fake, pieces. Two sci-fi pieces, right? We've got time and the DNA cloning. Not, or, I don't know it's what to cloning, call it. Cloning, re, re, recreation, reanimation, and then we've got some killers. But killers by themselves are generic. So you you want a Pulp Fiction version on those killers? What is your yeah. take on that? How are you, how are those killers interesting in a Pulp Fiction kind of way? So these two killers they work for this entity that's called the Secret Science Society, right? And they're recruited because they used to be orphans and they grew up in I guess a low class neighborhood, and so they got involved in gangs and crimes. But as they grow up, they realize that they don't want to be a part of this you know corrupted society anymore, and that's when they decide to become better people. And so when they were recruited into the gang, they had a plan to like take the whole organization down, and they did. And after they did that, they got recruited into the science society, and they thought they were doing the good deeds for the science people because, well, science is, I guess, equivalent to good. But they didn't realize that the society or the secret organization is using them for bad purpose. Okay, but that's not their character yet, right? I can see their their conflict, but what's mm-hmm. what's I, we got to get into their characters. Though, if we go to Pulp Fiction, John Travolta's character was what was he ambitious? Ambivalent about what he was doing? I can't remember now. I think it was Samuel Jackson who came to be ambivalent after oh, the Sam miracle. J- right, right, right. right. And, and Travolta was just back from the Netherlands being a heroin addict. Right. And I don't know how to describe it. I think that's why that movie was a classic, because it was almost hard to understand what I love about it. And I'm asking you to define something that I can't define myself. <laughs> but I'm looking for the weird. I'm looking for whatever the let, funk. Let, let's take a step back. Uh, Travis, tell us a little bit more about the, the story of the pilot. Like, what do, what do you see going on in your story. So in the pilot, we follow three separate stories. So we follow the story of Matthew, which is our protagonist. We follow Matthew's dad, who is stuck in ancient Egypt. And we follow this assassin duel. And so as we follow Matthew, we will find out how he's such a smart kid and how he stumbles into Einstein. And that's going to give us the backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, As we follow Matthew's dad, we're going to see how he has to find a way to get back to the modern world. But because he's stuck in ancient Egypt, that's going to be challenging. And as we follow the assassin duel, we'll follow the antagonist and understand their motive. Right. Now, what does Matthew want? Matthew doesn't want anything. Matthew is a brilliant kid, but he hates being so smart because he's entitled to help people because people just expect whoever is a smart one needs to help others. And he doesn't want that. He just wants a normal life. And I guess that's the conflict because he's dragged into this adventure that which he doesn't want to be a part of. Well, okay. He's refusing the call. He doesn't want to go do this. And then obviously his father being, you know, he ha- that's why he has to go do this. Yeah. yeah. And l- let me ask about the call for a second. So so how does he become part of this project with Albert Einstein? <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about Albert. I mean, because there's some, <laughs> right? Is, is there some organization that wants to get his dad back too, or is Albert the moving force behind this? Let's back up a little bit. So let's call them the SSS, Secret um, Science Society. Well, hold on a second. They, hold on. Hold on. Just so we're clear, the only title that won't work for a secret society is the Secret Society. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> you can name them anything else except I, the Secret I used society. to call them the Science Fair, but I don't know if that's That's true. hilarious. Yeah, the Science Fair. I that's love fantastic. That. Okay. So back in, let's say, the, the 90s, the Science Fair decided that they have the technology to bring back dead people. And so they brought back Albert Einstein because when he died, his brain was dissected into many slices. And so when they got all the slices together, they were able to like recreate his <laughs> consciousness and then put that consciousness into a clone body and they got Albert Einstein and they decide to move forward 
further, which convinced Einstein to build a time machine for them. Mm-hmm. And that time machine didn't work out as they wanted to, and it launches Matthew's dad back to the past, and the machine is broken. And so as Einstein finds out about the science fair's evil motive behind the time machine, which, like, the science fair wanted to use the time machine for a controlling purpose rather than just to help humanity, Albert Einstein decided to escape with a partner. And so that partner becomes a professor, and that professor turns out to be Matthew's mentor, who introduces Matthew to Albert Einstein. So it sounds like there's two layers here with, with, with Albert Einstein and the Secret Society, which is, so they bring him back. And in some way, they motivate Albert Einstein to be part of this and to study up and like whatever so he can actually build a time machine. And he's on board. Mm-hmm. And then something happens, maybe something to have to do with the explosion with Matthew's dad. I don't know. But something happens that then turns Albert Einstein against the secret society um, or against the science fair. And it leads him to go hook up with Matthew and try to get Matthew's dad back. Something like that? Yeah, you got it. Okay. I would like to represent the less smart people of the world and say- You do a good job. I am bleeding from my ears and my nose at the same time from trying to track- all the storyline, the plot that you guys just talked about. I don't think it's that complicated. If, I think you, you know, get it on the page pretty The clearly. thing that, it's not about the complication, really. For me, it's like, it's so much extra. I really just want like A to B to C. You know what yes. I mean? And the A to B to C, I need a lot less. And, in and, the pilot, I'm sorry, I should say, in the pilot. Right, and and I'll add another layer to that that, that struck me. I think it's, it's actually tremendously interesting, potentially, if you're going to track Matthew's father's storyline in ancient Egypt. I have no idea. <laughs> idea what that means. I have no idea what that milieu is. I don't know what he's into. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Is he like leaving messages on pyramid walls for his son to like <laughs> decipher in the future? Like kind of like what was that movie? Um a bunch of them. Uh, frequency. Frequency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah who right. was in the 50s and, and they had was, a radio connection across right, 40 and, and, years or whatever. Right, it was. but then also he left messages because he knew his son would, his find, son them. would find them. But but anyway, but what I want to say is so what you have is sort of you have two different timelines. You have ancient Egypt and the modern time. And in the modern time, you also have the two different POVs on that, which is the Matthew Einstein Project POV, and then you have the Killers POV. Except the, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're you're imbuing the Killers with a sort of a sense of their own morality that may or may not ultimately line up with the science fair. Yeah. All right. So you have sort of three players, and now's the point where I join Sam and, and say, okay, there's a lot going on, it, which isn't a bad thing. There's just a lot going on. Well, it's a lot going on plot-wise, right? That's the problem. We haven't talked about Matthew enough for, for me. Like, if you can, if I'm with Matthew as he's finding out all this insanity, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm with you. Right. I mean, it, it, it sort of feels like this, and maybe it's just because I have Bubba Hotep on the brain, <laughs> right? Right. But it sort of feels like yeah. it wants to be more of a romp and less of a, like, deeply complicated thing. How do you Am feel I reading that it? wrong? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I definitely see it as a rom more than like a, a sci-fi show. Okay, that's good. That helps because then a lot of this stuff sort of, a lot of the concerns here get a lot lighter if you're not going to live in intricate plotting and it's, right. you're just sort of referencing something and then people are running around and there's whatever, mummies in the hallways. And that, and that I think helps <laughs> with, uh, it helps with believability. It helps with the logic of it also because- You're not sweating the details. So yeah, much. and you're not sitting there trying to explain everything. Which, by the way, you can never explain sci-fi to everybody's yeah. satisfaction. You it, know, you, it was the downfall of our time working for the for Sci-Fi the network because at the time they were run by people who wanted to exp- everyone to explain everything. And it's like, no, yeah. you can't do that. The more you explain sci-fi or supernatural, the more holes there are. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> mm-hmm. so you have to. That's why I want to steer away from like the 
whole time concept and time traveling as much as I could and just focus on the adventuring part of it. Well, Smart. I think that's great. I don't think you need the time travel really very much at all, if if at all. I mean, the, the fact that his father is, is stuck in the past, okay, yes, yeah, so we have to get him at some point. And it has to somehow speak to the current story. Right. But we don't, ne- I don't even know if I need that in the pilot. It could just be at the end of the pilot, after he has regenerated Einstein. He's got or, Einstein. He's in got the, all this stuff. He's right. like, now we're going to create a time machine. And I'm like, okay, I know what the series is. Right. Or who even knows? We have, Now that we have the time machine, who know, even knows if your father's still alive? Cut to 4,000 years before. Right. There's there's dad in the middle of the desert going, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many versions of it. We're just saying you don't have to. We, we always say, pack the pilot. And then now we're saying, don't pack the pilot too much, <laughs> because at least not with story, not with plot. There's sort of a limited number of ideas that people can absorb before their their heads start to hurt rather than enjoying the story. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And to speak to the sci-fi thing, like when you said Einstein's brain was cut up so that people could study it and they put it back together and they put Einstein, I was like, in my mind, and I, I'll be honest, I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I really did. And then, of course, when you say, no, no, he takes the DNA and he regenerates an entire person is exactly the same. Oh, yeah, I believe that completely. Right. They just took his consciousness out of his reassembled brain. Whatever you say. <laughs> all I'm saying, I just say that, Travis, not to bust you, but to say it's so irrational and arbitrary what people will buy and what they don't. And so if it matches your tone and if Jim's saying if this is a romp, you're going to you have more. You can get away with more right. because then I don't care. Then I know it's about something else, and uh, and mm-hmm. I, and I, I put that little the, the, sci-fi the nitpicking dickishness right. up on a shelf. Right. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've been to Comic Con, but uh, <laughs> while I love it's those like people, a fever dream of sci-fi dickishness. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, um, but we we do love the but I love the passion the uh, of people it's adoration that, slash dickishness depending on which yeah. room you wander into for the Q and A. So, do you have names for your assassin duo? Uh, yeah, they are called Mick and Mac. Called Mick and Mac. Yes. Okay. So the thing is, they that relationship is going to be gold for you. Mm-hmm. I, and do you know how they're different? How are they different? They're sort of brothers, but okay. because they grew up with each other since they were little, they're mm-hmm. not like technically, I guess, brothers. But because they are so tight together, they right. formed a, an unbreakable bond. That's and, great. Yeah. No, I think that's great. But the question is, how is that, like, how does that look? What does that look like? I'll give you an example. Hold on. I'll give you an example. This is just a thing that came to me on Ocean's uh, 11, 12, or 13. One of them, they had uh, James James Conn's son, Scott Conn, and he had a brother, and they were the getaway guys. But they were like 12 years old to each other. Oh, they were talking about dickishness. Yeah, they were complete. They just yeah. were annoyed with each other, and they met. And of course, it interfered with the plot that you know, which they knew the writers knew it would, and that was smart. And it was just that slice. I'm not saying that was a very broad, funny thing, but they had a relationship that was clearly defined before they started deciding to go rob the casino or whatever the plot was in that one. You know what I mean? So, what's these guys' yeah. story? What's their thing? Mick is the smarter one, but he's also the quiet one. So he observes, he makes assumptions, but he doesn't say it out loud. In the meanwhile, Mac is, I guess, more irrational. He do things before he can think if it's logical to do it or not. Mm-hmm. But he gets things done. But maybe not in the best way, but he gets things done. Okay. L- let me ask a, another question with them. A, a twofold question. One is, are we going to know what they're up to in the pilot? And the parallel thought is, so we have this secret organization, the science fair, that feels like it's got the nefarious agenda that is behind a lot of stuff going on. And these two are working for science fair, but they also have an agenda of their own, which means at some point, maybe in the pilot, maybe not, 
Hopefully not. Um, we have to both know what the science fair's agenda is and the fact that these guys have a separate one of their own, mm -hmm. which uh, I'm asking that because it feels plan. like, right, as we get to know them, part of what we're getting to know is, oh, they work for these people who want X, but because of their dynamic between the two of them and what they've experienced in their lives, they have a plan to do why right is that is that what you're planning on doing in the pilot um not in the pilot but in future episodes yes okay do you guys want me to like quickly walk you guys through the pilot or i would like that and let me ask you a question as you go through it help me understand how this blows up television how this disrupts okay. it okay? no 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 just just do your summary we'll talk about that after okay. it's gonna be too confusing if you try to do that <laughs> all, right. At the same all right time. all right the pilot opens with a man just wakes up in ancient egypt in the middle of the desert from a sarcophagus and and that's the cold open. And so the pilot is essentially about Matthew, this brilliant kid who has lost all of his family and just recently became an orphan. And the only person who he's close with is his professor, Professor Henry. So Professor Henry and Matthew has been working on some sort of project, but Henry never let Matthew knew um, what they were working on um, until one point Matthew is so impatient and he just wants to quit and just live his life like a normal person without having to use his brain too much. So they have a fight and the next morning when Matthew comes back to school, Henry is murdered. He's dead. And Matthew is shocked. Like, oh my God, I just had a fight with this guy yesterday. How is he dead now? Like, So he's confused. But before Henry died, he left Matthew a note, which led Matthew to find Albert Einstein, who's been hiding on the school campus. And so that's when we learned about where did Albert Einstein come from and how is he alive and all the main gist about the science there. And we also... At the same time, we intercut with like how Mick and Mac is working for the science fair. So Matthew is forced to co cooperate with Albert Einstein because he learned about his father who's stuck in the past. And now he, they have to build a time machine. And at the end of the episode, they are like the bad guys are closing in. And the cliffhanger is when Mick and Mac find Matthew and Albert Einstein. Okay, so it, it feels like the tension here is it sounds like if they're killing Professor Henry, Mick and Mac are actually, though we don't quite know it, trying to stop science fair from achieving their nefarious goal. But that same goal is necessary for Matthew to achieve with Albert Einstein if he's going to get his father back. Is that the yeah. basic basic plot tension? But then isn't the problem that they all have the same goal? Well, having the good guy and the bad guy both have the same goal, but with different intentions and different prices isn't... Uh... It's getting there, but it's a little... It yeah, because they're both. It's it's not like they they both want the same thing. We, you know, they both want the father say one to kill him, one to exploit him. Okay, then their goal is different. Their short term is get the guy, but they but that's not their goal. Their goal is actually they're tired of doing bad. You got bad guys who don't want to do bad anymore. And I, I like the idea of conflicted bad guys, mm -hmm. uh, a hitman. I mean, you got uh, what's it? Uh, get Shorty, the the, right. the epic show right now. Yeah. Right? I mean, those are good examples of, or he is anyway. Well, I think we're not going to know that the bad guys actually have a separate agenda in the pilot. Yeah, they're not conflicted in the first episode. Yeah, exactly. Right. So we do think that the bad guys are out to stop this, are out to stop Matthew and, and Einstein. Okay. Well, that's simpler. Right. So then all that, I'll just throw that other stuff out of my brain. Right. Because there's yeah. nothing beyond the pilot. Mm -hmm. Right. No, definitely yeah. not. There's nothing <laughs> nothing beyond. exists beyond the pilot. But I, I'm still struggling with the characters because I don't, I don't get the characters yet. I still get them as types. You well, know, we, when you were talking about Mick and Mac, for example, you know, you got the strong, silent type, the smart, silent, quiet type, and then the, the other one, right? I started wondering, maybe the strong, silent type doesn't speak ever. But the other brother, 
understands him all the time and understands him in a way that doesn't make any sense. Like he looks at him and he says, all right, listen, this is my brother saying, and he talks for four minutes. <laughs> You're like, how did you get, I mean, that's, ex- that's extreme. I'm using that as, uh, although it makes me laugh, it's, it's maybe too extreme for the show, but at least it's different, right? I want to, yeah. I want to get there, understand their relationship. I want to understand them just like I want to understand that besides their, the fact that they're conflicted about being, uh, their jobs. To me, what's so interesting about them is that they come from a background where they knew nothing about science. Like they grew up on the streets and now they're put in a position where they have to track down scientists with all this complicated device and science. And they will like have to figure out how to, I guess, track these scientists down. I get that, but that's not personal. That's their goal. What What is, what do they like? I mean, what is, if I met them at a party, what are they like? If What are the kinds of characters are they? You know, if we go back, if I went back to get Shorty to pick the conflicted hitman, well, in his specific case this is he's a work a day assassin Mm -hmm. and he at the end of the day he goes back to his you know crappy place and and his marriage is failing because he's in the wrong business and he works too much and he he has to lie to his daughter and everything's just sort of crappy looking for something better to do right and he wants to get out of the life but but not out of the life because i hate killing people he doesn't hate killing people he does it a lot he's actually pretty good at it (laughs) yeah he just has lost the he's just not that interested in it anymore And it's just off, and and that that being off is so interesting, you know. I mean that that it that's what made that show, I think, or made that character, I should say. And so when he goes to Hollywood to make it big, it's not because he even wants to be a star. He's like, you know what, this is better. And it's interesting because it's it's what made it a TV series as opposed to the John Travolta version of that type of character in the movie, who was just a really cool guy who can handle the shit. And that's what he did all the way through, which made him a successful Hollywood guy. Right. This guy's full of conflict and he's trying to figure his shit out and he falls into Hollywood and starts figuring stuff out. It turns out that's pretty good, especially if you're willing to put a gun to someone's head. Right. That's his secret superpower. Who knew? So it's the conflict and the fact that he's not trying to escape the Mexican cartel. He's trying to escape some local drug dealer in whatever, it's Vegas or outside of Vegas. something, Rump or something. Yeah, it's it's not even Vegas. It's some, you know, janky town somewhere. And it it all just is not, I haven't seen that before. And it had a good fundamental thing, which is being a killer is what's fucking up his life. He has this dream. He goes to Hollywood and he kind of gets the dream. But in order to have that dream and make it happen, he has to still be a killer or threatened to be a killer right so he's okay. the thing he's trying to escape from is actually the thing that is enabling his success so he's he's fighting against the thing that's actually made and it's like oh well like if i do this just a little bit longer i'll find my way out and be able to leave it behind right and that's sort of I his see. character journey all the way through right how do i escape this shit oh but i need to do this shit to get what i want so i'll do it okay and you get so much story out of that because you know what he wants I see what you guys mean yeah you know he just wants to make it have enough success to pull himself out of that place. And it's very sympathetic because he wants to be with his wife. He wants to be with his daughter. Yeah. Like it's it's very, you, you feel for him. Right. And yet things keep getting in the way. And now as writers, we just keep making it harder for him. And then we let him get close and then take it away. And the reason we All take right. it away is usually because he fucks something up, ideally. Right. Or bad luck. Or there's so many different reasons. You guys just gave me an idea. Is it okay if I pitch it to you guys? Absolutely. Go right ahead. Okay. Mick and Mac has his brother's dynamic, right? And so I assume now we have to like pitch them together to create some sort of tension that's interesting. So Mick being the smart and quiet one, he will gradually want to get out of this gangster life. He doesn't want to kill people anymore because he's too smart to like just do the dirty work. He will become sophisticated and he wants to stay sophisticated. Meanwhile, Mac being, I guess, the dumber one, he will want to 
too because he's having fun acting like a good guy because he thinks all he thinks that he's doing is for the good. He will want to keep doing it and because of like brother dynamic. When Mick wants to leave this life, Mac will feel betrayed and will try to stop Mick from, you know, moving on to his next chapter. What do you guys think? I, I think that's a fine basic dynamic between them. What's missing for me is the connection to the main story. I see. You know, because it's, it's like, so they're working for Science Fair, which has an agenda for this time machine and Albert Einstein. And Matthew is working this time machine with Albert Einstein because he has an agenda for the time machine. It's almost like they need their own in some way. In some way, what's playing out between yeah. them, it's going to fix their problem or it's going to enable something for them that's a completely different agenda of their own. That could be interesting and it could turn out to be the thing that separates them because one wants A and one wants B when mm -hmm. they actually get down to it. It needs to play on the main story. Right. So since they're both orphans, what if one of them wants to use a time machine to find the family they used to have, but then the other one doesn't want to do it because he's afraid he's going to lose his brother for good? Mm. Yeah, that's that's, that's a, interesting. That's a good I, starting point. I mean, is it a feature or a bug that both storylines are trying to get a parent with the time machine? I don't know. Could could wind up being thematic. Well, it's not thematic. <laughs> I mean, it is that, <laughs> well, but, it's I mean, a, from that but it's very, it's more than just the theme. It's the, the whole story. Because it might work if Matthew say it sounds like his father's been gone for some period of time how long has his dad mm -hmm. been gone from matthew's life since he was born right so, oh, so he he's an orphan too right yeah. so there's a there's a thing here about surrogate fathers and it feels like albert einstein in what i'm filling in in my head feels some amount of responsibility for having been complicit in the thing that took matthew's father away so he has come to matthew however it happened and is willing to build another time machine even though he knows what's what the bad guys want in order to to rid himself of the karmic debt you know the moral obligation to mm -hmm. help matthew have his father return to him so there's a way in which sort of a father Fathers and sons, parents, obligation, that kind of stuff could be part of the show at, at a sort of theme level. Well, yeah. it's, it's more than the theme level, though, I keep going back to it because it is, we both want to go back in time to find a parent. You're right. But I wonder if the way to twist it is Matthew wants to go find his father and Mick wants to go back and kill his father. Right. Right. That that might help me out a little bit, you know, because at least it makes it because he's so angry at being abandoned or he's so or or, or kill his father before his father kills his little sister. Or, uh, you know, we're this is all just <laughs> the bad version. But you see how right. we're trying to twist it just a little bit yeah. to make it different. And, and to go back to and, and I think we're getting on to something. But, Travis, to go back to the characters, wouldn't it be great if we saw Mick and Mac doing their job, making a crime, doing a crime and we get to see how they behave when they do it? And yeah. in, in your version, I think one of them the impetuous one is going to want to pull out a gun and just do it that way whereas mick is going to be the guy none to say no 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 i'm going to and he trips some old lady and that causes three different things to happen and a car swerve and kill the guy i mean that's my bad version so he's smart the rube though. goldberg machine, yeah they want rube the, goldberg that's like i'm just creating using, the conditions where somebody yeah and so he's happens. smart and i can see that and now i understand that they're different and the way they react to what they did is their relationship right so yeah. if the younger brother is impressed by what his brother just did you say oh he he really looks up to his brother if he's angry with him i'm like oh he's that's going to be a source of contention between them going forward so i want to drill it i'm just trying to show you as you go into your scenes how to drill in to learn about these people so when you're pitching it you're not pitching okay it's a little uh where he's going to do this then they're going to go do that it's no we're going to meet these brothers and they have this kind of relationship and they do this in the scene because of this and then you, right. you build okay. from there it, which which is where um you know this is something sam's always been good 
good at in our writing partnership is wanting to drill down and find the things that the characters want. Because once you know that in, in these ways that we're talking about right now, that's where your plot actually comes from. Because you want the things that are happening to be driven by someone desperately wanting something. It's called writing from the inside out as opposed to out. And by the way, I'm not strict about it because sometimes you just need to find some cool plot twists. Right. <laughs> and you're like, wouldn't it be cool mm-hmm. if this? But that will harm you in a pilot. I really think so. Because then you're not discovering the characters. And ideally, if you're having those cool plot twists, it's because someone else's agenda has collided with your first agenda. Right. right? And so it's it's not really a plot twist that's happening randomly. It's because you've got colliding drives from different characters right. complicating and, each other's lives. And in a perfect world, Matthew is completely messing up making Max plan or vice versa or both, right? At different times. And now we see these mm-hmm. people colliding against each other with the secret society. So not the, sorry, the uh, science fair, but messing things up. So here's my question, Travis, how is this going to blow up television? How are we disrupting it? Or, or are you trying to write something that's cool? And you're like, I'll disrupt it later. When I, once I get in the door, <laughs> it's going to be so cool. It's disruptive. I guess it's going to be the latter one. I don't think there's anything like this before, or at least I haven't seen anything like this before. And the main theme of the show, or at least what I want it to be, is about like what can change a nature of a man, what makes a man, because we have all these characters who have no parents, and they have to like make something out of their own life, right? Even Albert Einstein, like the clone, he's cloned into the body of Albert Einstein, but his consciousness is not the same. He's not Albert Einstein, but he has to live as Albert Einstein, and I think that's well, going to no, be something interesting cool. to explore. I mean, yeah. the idea of coming back a little wrong is great, and I believe it too, because when I get the flu for two weeks, I'm different afterward. <laughs> right, I messed up for a while, let alone if my brain was reassembled right. and I'm reconstituted. Well, it, it's always the clone story, right? right. Like, what, always... what does the clone owe to the original copy in, in terms of living yeah. the same life, being the same person? But I want to take some pressure off of you. All right, I was messing with you a little bit, not messing, but I, with this idea of how is this going to disrupt television? Because what I want to do is I want to take that, I'm hoping to take that pressure off of you. <laughs> okay. You, yeah, you really just scared me. Yeah, good. <laughs> Because, Don't be afraid. Because here's the thing. This story is not uh, the most original story in the history of television, and it doesn't need to be Travis. That's right. All right? That's the thing I'm trying to tell you. It's too much pressure on yourself. It's like it's getting up, trying to hit a, a Grand Slam home run every time. I wish we could do it, <laughs> and I will tell you right now, I don't know anybody that can do it. People that are making literally tens of millions of dollars a year put on put shows on that don't do it. And it, it just, this is a very hard thing to do. And I don't want, what I'm hoping for you is not for you to get bound up in trying to do it on this script. Let your, give yourself, yes, give yourself not only the opportunity to suck. I think everyone, you know, you know about that rule. Let, let, don't, don't try to be perfect. The perfect is the enemy of good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, the things that are original, the character, because Jim and I quoted, I don't know, about six movies when we were talking about it, right? Which is an indicate. <laughs> indication that you're picking and choosing from different things that exist and we've probably seen more stuff than you because we're older than you i think and and we've just seen more stuff and so we we immediately go to it but that's that's not a bust that's not a bad thing the bad thing is if you stick to the tropes and you just do them down the middle all the way and you're not doing that but you don't also have to reinvent television with this script you just don't you're not going to and and that may stop you from writing a really good script which is what you need right now. 
because that really good script could go out and get you work or get you the next step or, or just make you better. And then when you have the craft skills, you can say, all right, I know how to write a really good script. That doesn't mean you can write two, by the way. <laughs> uh, Jim and I have written really good scripts. And then the next one, we're like, what happened? When, how did we forget how to how write? How did that? What, right. Why are, and you put it down for three months, you come back and go, why did we do that? Yeah, this is, so this is the muse and, and it, it kind of moves around. But what I'm saying is, so it's not like you're done. But when you can do that, then it'll open you up to being able to disrupt television. Right. And Jim, am I, am I kind of in the ballpark here? Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. Right. What do you think, Travis? I, I don't, I'm trying not to bum you out. I'm trying to say this could be great without being earth shattering. And it is a very original idea in many ways. The combination of pieces is unusual. And that's really all you ever get. Right. right. There's always references. You can always look back for any piece of plot or a character mm-hmm. type and say, oh, well, I saw something like that. But it's how you put it together. If you can make it all sing and play off of itself. And if you can move us, if you can make me care about these characters that only exist in your brain, that's that's a miracle when that happens. That's the real miracle. The emotional piece is falling in love with the killer because he wants out of his life and we want him to get out of his life and go be a successful Hollywood guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely like agree with what you guys just said. Yeah, I because... don't think you do, Travis. I think what you're saying is these guys are tired <laughs> and they've been through this and they've given up on life <laughs> and they're just shooting the middle because that's what pays the goddamn rent and they just want to be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I think it's because uh, no, definitely not. Um, I would just I think I try to set or I try to overestimate the project because whenever you underestimate a project, it's never going to work out. So my motto is I always have to like overestimate it and like expect great things from me and put that pressure on me so that when the project is finished, hopefully I would just cross that line and like just aim for the stars to so make it to the moon. Yeah, maybe halfway is okay. But <laughs> <laughs> like just make it out to space. It's pretty good already. Yeah, yeah. Travis, you're beautiful. That, I, I admire that, and I, I really mean that. I, uh, if you, if we were in a writer's room together, I would sit right next to you and just sort of bask in that energy. He'd be a vampire. He'd uh, suck all the energy right out of you. <laughs> I'd be like, this is great. <laughs> Travis and I came up with an idea. Does it have to be 3D? <laughs> um, we're thinking 60. Can we do 60? But just, just, just be sure, just when you do sit down and read your script, your draft, and it's not what you hope for, don't give up on it. That's just make sure that you're not so disappointed. You're like, God damn it. Just walk away. <laughs> give it a couple of days, come back and then start pulling things out of the engine and throwing parts around and, and figuring it out and redoing it. And it just, I just don't want you to be like, I can only marry the most perfect person in the entire world. And we know that never, that never ends well. Mm-hmm. It worked out for my wife. <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> she's not going to be happy when she hears that. Yeah, no, she's not. She's, she's going to disagree with She me would too. never listen to the show. Yeah. She listens. She hears him talk enough. So, Travis, thank you for calling today. I mean, this is great. And you, you're bringing up the syndrome that I'm now going to call the the Travis Wen syndrome of you know shooting for the for the stars every time, which we should do. But then I hope we're in your brain saying, Travis. That character move was really cool. That's enough, man. Go to the next scene. Did we actually help you here at all? No, yeah, you guys definitely, because when I wrote the show, I didn't really look at the aspect of, like, I didn't really focus on Nick and Mac at all. I would just focus on the protagonist. But now you guys help me realize I have to come from both sides, and when we meet in the middle, it's going to be even better. All right, that is that is a good lesson to take away from this. Oh, I just learned that, too. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> I got to remember that <laughs> I one. I got to remember that. I think you helped us out here, Travis. <laughs> all right, Travis. Thank you so much, man. Be well, man. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, thanks again for all that advice. And that's all we've got for you this week. 
Our producer, J.R. Zamora-Thal, is working the mixing board. Our logo was designed by Julianne DeBar-Moncler, and our music was provided by Budarays out of Austin, Texas. If you want to get in touch, we are at The Salmon Gym on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook and YouTube as The Writer's Room with Salmon Gym. And if you like hanging out in the room with us, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, would you, so we can get JR paid. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.